0: The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Well, good morning again. Uh, last week, we started this series called Love Is, and we are taking a look at God's love and comparing that to the love that we often find in our world. And I'd like to begin today with a grammar lesson. Are you excited about a grammar lesson? Some of the husbands are turning to their wives with a look going, I told you we shouldn't have come to church today. Well, let me, let me tell you, this grammar lesson is about conditional sentences, A conditional sentence is defined as a sentence discussing factual implications or hypothetical situations and their consequences. Are you inspired yet? Let me try this. A conditional sentence often comes in the form of if-then statements. So if it rains today, then the wedding I'm performing is going to have to be moved inside. if the water boils it will turn into steam if you step on a crack then you will break your mother's back <laughs> those are some examples of conditional sentences what do these sentences have to do with love i'm glad you asked well often when we say the word love in our world it's attached or it is part of a conditional sentence I will love you if, lost my place, I will love you (laughs) if you meet my needs, then I will love you. If you make me feel like a princess, then I will adore you. If you look the same way forever as you did the first day we met, then my love will be true. Conditional sentences can also come around the words until or after. I will love you until my feelings change. I will love you until something better comes along. I will love you after you've proven that you're worthy. Well, I believe that people in our world are longing for a love that doesn't have an if or an until or an after attached to it. And if you're longing for that kind of love, then I have great news for you. That kind of love is possible. But we're not going to find it by looking in all of the same places that, that we've always spent looking for love. We can only find it in the God of the universe, the one who created us. God loves each and every one of us with an unconditional love. And God's love... It's the only place that you're going to find that, which is why today's message is called Love is Unconditional. We we learn about God's unconditional love in many places in the Bible. If you read through Romans chapter 8, verse 35 says, "'Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword?' And then a little bit later, Paul says, For I am convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels nor demons, nor things present nor things to come, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God gives us a love that is without conditions, A love that cannot be taken away. I could have spent the entire morning focusing on that passage from Romans chapter 8. But I chose a different passage for us to read, Romans chapter 5. And I did this because, you know, I'm aware that there are people in, in a church who have heard the message of God's unconditional love before. And my hope is that whether that's you, whether you've heard it a million times, or whether this is the first time in your entire life you're hearing about this unconditional love of God, I pray that you would find something in this passage that helps it to come alive to you in a new way and in a way that inspires you to share that love with others. So we're going to read today from Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. It says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more surely, having been reconciled, will we we be saved by his life. This is God's word for us today. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this great word. This word that maybe even doesn't make sense in some ways when you really look at what, what it says. We pray that you would... Enlighten us today that you would help us to see this and understand exactly what it's saying about your love for us and how you call us to love others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a song recently hit the airwaves on the radio, and it's one that speaks of this deeper love. No, it's not on Christian radio. It's actually a song by Katy Perry, of all people. The song is called Unconditionally. Unconditionally. I'm not sure if you've heard it, but here are some of the, the words that Perry sings in the song. Come just as you are to me. Don't need apologies. Know that you are worthy. I'll take your bad days with your good. Walk through the storm I would. I do it all because I love you. Unconditional. Unconditionally. I will love you unconditionally. There is no fear now. Let go and just be free. I will love you unconditionally. When Perry has been interviewed about this song, here here are some of the things that she said about it. It's, It's when you're in love with someone and there's full acceptance. The highs and the lows. All the flaws. The zits. The smells. The whole gamut, you know. Sometimes I remember being scared to be accepted in relationships. And I know that everybody else goes through that. And will they love my true self? She added... We're weirdos. We pick our nose and we make disgusting noises and we're not always the most presentable things. But someone's got to love us. Most of us are longing for that someone. That someone who will love us, nose-picking weirdos that we are. And this passage tells us that God loves us even when we're not at our best. Did you catch the words that were used to describe us in that passage. There were four words used to describe God's people in this passage. Here's what they were, weak, ungodly, sinners, and enemies. So if somebody asks you what kind of church you go to, then you can tell them, I go to a church where there are weak, ungodly sinners who've lived as enemies of God, (laughs) and I wonder what they'll say. But then you can tell them that these weak, ungodly sinners have met the one who is forgiving and true, the one who loves them unconditionally, and who loves them even when they don't deserve it. So let's look at these words used to describe us in this passage and see what it teaches us about God's unconditional love. First, it says that we're weak. God loves us when we're weak, And in this context, it means really helpless. If you've ever been hiking with a child, then you have maybe encountered this sense of helplessness that somebody has felt before, where they get halfway up the... My kids have never done this, by the way. Uh, But they get halfway up the the, the trail, and their legs stop working, and they say, I can't move, Dad. Please carry me. If you're like me and you're maybe, maybe a little too nice, you end up doing one of two things. Either one, carrying them for great distances, or two, bribing them. You say, hey, if you can just make it to the top of this next hill, I'll give you a piece of chocolate. And if you can make it all the way to the end, I'll take you out for a milkshake afterwards, defeating the purpose of the hike altogether. <laughs> it's incredible how the promise of sugar can change somebody's mindset. In cases like these, kids may not be quite as helpless as they think they are, but it's quite different in our situation with God. You see, we are completely helpless when it comes to being in the presence of the almighty, holy God. We've gotten ourselves into a predicament that we cannot get out of on our own. No amount of good deeds or clean living can get us back into that right place with God. So we need a savior. We talked about that in our last series. God loved us in a time where we could not help ourselves. He didn't just do it because we were weak, but he did it even, uh, because we were strong, but he did it even when we were weak. And through the cross, he made it possible for weaklings like us to be reconciled to God. And then once we understand this, then God sends us out to love other people in the same way that he has loved us. Who are the weak or helpless people in your life, or at least the people that seem that way to you? Would you say that when you see them, you, you have more of a heart of, a com- of compassion or a heart of judgment? When, when you see them, do you, have a, do you feel like you, you, uh, you love them, or do you feel like you're looking down your nose at them and feeling superior to them? Our passage reminds us that we have no room for superiority because God loved us when we were weak, when we were helpless. God found us there, and he calls us to do the same for others. Next, the passage tells us that God loves the ungodly and the sinners. He loves people who don't always do the right thing. Do you know anybody who doesn't always do the right thing? Do you always do the right thing? When he walked on this earth, Jesus had this surprising habit of loving ungodly sinners, people who didn't do the right thing. Here are just a few of the people that he expressed his love for in his time on earth. An unworthy, unliked, despised tax collector... And when nobody else in the religious establishment would go and even be in the presence of this guy, Jesus went and found him where he was, at his tax collector booth. And then he even spent time in his home, hanging out with other ungodly people. And this love that this man encountered changed him. We know him better today as Matthew, the author of the first book in the New Testament, Jesus loved a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery and brought to him by an angry mob and thrown at his feet. And when everybody else was looking at her with condemnation, Jesus said, I don't condemn you. He loved her in a way that she had never been loved by a man before. Jesus loved a woman who had been married and divorced five times from a group of people who were considered unclean and unholy. Jesus met with her at a well during the day, and he spoke with her. He accepted her. He loved her. His love looked past her brokenness and past the cultural stereotypes, even at the risk of looking bad to his Jewish companions. Jesus loved people who didn't always do the right thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't don't. Think that Jesus' love is just about loving people right where they are and not asking them to change and to grow. Because God loves us too much to leave us in that broken state. He loves us there, but He doesn't want us to stay there. So that that guy Matthew, the tax collector, Jesus went to him and he said, Follow me, which didn't just mean walk behind me, but become like me. To the woman who had been caught in adultery. Jesus looked her in the eyes and he said, go now and leave your life of sin. And what about the serial divorcee? Well, he called her to a lifestyle of worship, a type of worship that wasn't contained in one place at one time, but a worship that was much bigger than that, a worship in spirit and in truth. God unconditionally loves you, but he loves you too much to leave you in the broken states that you're in. He wants to call you to a better life. And when you understand that kind of love, then you get motivated to go out and share that love with other people who don't always do the right thing. Who are the people in your life who don't always do the right thing? Who are the people whose lives are messy? Who are the people that you seek to avoid most of the time? These are the people that God wants us to love. Next, the passage teaches us that God loves his enemies. It gets harder. <laughs> One of the most striking statements that, that we read in that passage today was this. Rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And a little later, it says that he did all this while we were still his enemies. How can it say that we're God's enemies? Most of us don't consciously go to war against God. So so how can it say this? Well, anytime that we live contrary to God's kingdom and his will... Then we are living as an adversary to what he wants us to do. If we're not for his kingdom, we're against it. So anytime that we participate in what is evil or that we resist what is good, then we are living as God's enemies. But the good news is Jesus Christ died for us even when we were his enemies. Is there anybody that you would be willing to die for? A child? family member, a friend, a good person. I remember the first time that I remember seeing somebody who was willing to die for another. It was uh, when I was six years old. On March 30th, 1981, President Ronald Reagan attended an event at the Washington Hilton Hotel, and when he exited the event, a man named John Hinckley Jr. began shooting. I'll never forget that day. I was sitting in Mr. Moen's first grade class at C.L. Smith Elementary School in San Luis Obispo. It was just before lunchtime on the West Coast when the news started reporting that all of this was happening. And Mr. Moen was, was called out of our classroom. And when he returned, he shared with us that, that our president had been shot. And in my six-year-old mind, I, I just said, I don't... I couldn't imagine that somebody could survive something like that. So I thought that he was gone. But I learned later that day that he had survived and watched in the weeks that followed as he made a full recovery. But the Reagan family was not the only family affected by that, those events that day. Hinckley shot, he fired six shots that day. The first hit White House press secretary, James Brady, in the head. The second hit District of Columbia police officer Thomas Delahanty in the back of his neck as he turned to protect the president. The third shot missed everybody and hit a window on a building across the street. The fourth shot hit Secret Service agent, agent Timothy McCarthy as he spread out in front of the president and hit him in the belly. The fifth shot hit the uh, bullet-resistant glass on the limousine and the sixth and final shot bounced off the side of the vehicle and went under the arm of the president, grazing a rib and landing uh, in, lodging in one of his lungs. One of the things that's always stood out to me about that event in my, in my childhood was, was seeing these people who were willing to get in front of another person and to take that bullet for him. Take McCarthy, for instance, when Hinckley began shooting, McCarthy spread out his body in front of the president and took a bullet in the gut for the president. He survived, but he showed that day that he was willing to die for somebody else. Sometimes a person is willing to die for somebody who's really important or somebody who's a really good person or a child or a family member, but people don't die for enemies. That just doesn't happen. Yet that is exactly what Christ did, isn't it? When Jesus spread out his arms to shield us from the lethal blow that was headed our way, he did it not because we were good enough, but he did it because we weren't good enough, because we didn't deserve it. The passage said, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Jesus' love for his enemies is unprecedented. Never was this more evident than when he was on Golgotha, Skull Hill. And when he looked at the people who were nailing him to that cross, and what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that example adds so much more weight to the the teaching that he gave to us in Luke chapter 6, when he said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Who are your enemies? How are we doing at loving our enemies? Do you remember what we talked about last week? 1 Corinthians 13 told us that love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrongs. It's not easily angered. How are you doing at loving your enemies that way the only way that we can love our enemies in the way that god calls us to is to recognize what christ has done for us in loving us when we were living as his adversaries now let me say that loving your enemies doesn't mean that if you are in an abusive relationship it doesn't mean that you have to stay there Uh, you know You can love somebody without continuing to be subject to that kind of unnecessary pain. But what it does mean is that we will look to the hard people in our life and we will love them with patience, with humility, with kindness, and that we will pray for them. And that we'll do it because Christ did it for us. Love isn't easy, is it? in this world where people are longing to be loved for who they are, who are longing to be loved without an if attached to it. You can look for that kind of perfect love in a person, but you will never find it perfectly lived out because people always fall short of that kind of love. So rather than looking for that in a person, let's start by looking for that ultimate love in God and God alone. Because when we are secure in the unchanging, unfailing, unconditional love of God, it's only then that we will be empowered to go out and love imperfect people. So let us be people who love others with this unconditional love, just as God has loved us. I invite you to close your eyes and pray with me. Gracious Lord, we can't even begin to understand your love for us. It it goes beyond reason, it goes beyond anything else that we encounter in this world. But Lord, we know that you love us when we're enemies, when we're weak, when we're ungodly, when we are sinful. And Lord, we know that you call us to love others with that same kind of love. So help us lean into your love, look to your love in every area of our lives, that we might be the kind of people that live as you live, that walk as you walk, that love as you love. In the precious name of the one who loves us, Jesus Christ.